What is up, hoopers, analytics, bad guys, bucket getters, boosters, blue bloods, and new bloods? We are back. Some stuff happened. I I saw the world, and the world at, at Gonzaga is A-OK, apparently. So we're going to talk about that and talk about a lot, lot more. Hey, Hoop fans, how would you like to get a 125% sign-up bonus up to $2,500? Join BetUS with promo code NEWBLOODS, that's N-E-W-B-L-O-O-D-S at BetUS.com, where the game begins. Hello, Hoop World. My name is Tuck Clary. I write for Slippers Little Fits and Busting Brackets. Joining me today... Back in action, he found the portal to the portal, and he legged his way home. Prayers answered, wishes fulfilled. It is Josh Linky. I'm so happy my secret crush came, guys. That's all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) And joining us today. Oh, is that is that Dior? I smell. It's Tristan Freeman. I uh, appreciate the intro to that talk. I, I didn't know what you was going to come up with. I'm glad it wasn't slanderous. Thank you. Yeah, no, congratulations. There's no slander coming from my end of the woods here. Uh, nothing but the highest praise. I'm excited for the Pitt Panthers to knock the door down and, and take on the ACC and get that dub. Yeah, I mean, it, it's important. I, I think people who haven't you know known recently about Pittsburgh, we were known as point guard U back in the day with mm. Carl Krauser, LeVance Fields, a lot of quality point guards. So now that we get another one in Dior Johnson, I think that the sky's looking right for, for Pitt basketball. I love that you said a lot of guards and you named two. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last time that Pittsburgh had a good point guard was what year? Was that like 2008? That 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 is absolutely not true. And I, I'm oh, okay. not going to fight you. <laughs> Look, you know, I'm not going to hate on Pittsburgh. It's it's a perfectly average city. The one thing I will say about that town is that they call it Steel City, not because of the steel workers, but because y'all steal things like the Super Bowl from the Seahawks back in 2006. That sounds like a personal problem. I don't understand why <laughs> worried about that. Look, we got rings. We got tie. We are, you know, the city of champions. Rings everywhere, you know, and, and look. We actually, you know, keep our sports teams, you know, hopefully oh, one day you guys blow. get back your basketball program. That is that a low day. blow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what is Pittsburgh's basketball team? Right. I was just, <laughs> what's the NBA system going on there? Uh, we, we, we claim Cleveland when they had LeBron. Oh, so that's, that's a rough fan. Like you're what? Akron doesn't even, from... Akron doesn't even claim Cleveland. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, uh, enough, enough uh, uh, dissing on the perfectly uh, reputable blue collar city, uh, the beacon of, of, of bright aspirations in, in labor of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Let's go have a little chat about, I guess, I guess the world isn't ending in, in Spokane, Washington. I guess, I guess the window hasn't been shuttered and slammed closed. Uh, the doom and gloom that we've been feeling ever since the end of March is—is is everything okay? I guess everything's okay. 
I, you know, the boys are back in town. It's time to queue up some Thin Lizzy because the Wild Eye Boys are back. Drew Timmy, uh, Rajir Bolton, Julian Strother. Like, if you told a Zag fan, I don't know, like a month ago, that all three of them would be back in Spokane for this season, I'm pretty sure they all would have just laughed at you because it's the, even the most optimistic fans were thinking maybe two out of three, but definitely not all three of them. I, it's it's time for Timmy to run it back. Giddy up. I will say that, you know, uh, there was a good chance for every guy involved this offseason with Gonzaga after the Anthony Black saga. All of them could have gone another way. Like Ethan Reed could have potentially gone to Virginia Tech. Malachi Smith could have stayed in the draft. All three of these guys at some point sort of looked like they were leaning to stay in the draft. And the fact that Gonzaga was able to win out on all of them it's it's harder to find a real a bigger winner this offseason based on all the decisions. So does this mean that Gonzaga is the preseason number one team in the country? I I personally say no, and that's maybe that's going to sound weird to some Zag fans because I'm I'm usually the homer, but I'm kind of like leaning towards number two or number three preseason right now with with UNC and Houston possibly at the one, two, or three spot. It's but really like it's it's kind of like a this is the group of three teams that we should all be talking about coming into next season. So it doesn't really matter who's where at this point. We need to just show it on the court when it when it comes time to play. Yeah, I I am perfectly okay with Gonzaga not being the favorite. And I don't think they really should be considering how things went in March. I I know that it's really hard to win tournament games, but the on and off statistics of Chet Holmgren on defense is enough for me to say, okay, they're going to be great leaning towards elite, but I'm going to need to see a lot of assurances from the front court on the defensive end before I'm ready to say, yeah, they're, the de facto number one team in the country. I mean, it, it comes down to whether or not you believe in uh, Nolan Hickman's ready to take the step because Gonzaga has everything else that you would ask for. 20 points, dominant big man, a lethal wing scorer in, in Strother. You have a three-point shooting threat in, in Bolton. You have the depth. You have the, you know, the five-star NBA-type talent. If you believe that Nolan Hickman is ready to lead Gonzaga offensively, and what weakness do they, they really have? And, and, and Anton Watson may not be the interior defender that Chet Holmgren is, but he's pretty good in his own right. And, and I do agree that UNC and, he, and Houston are the two other teams. My, my concern with Houston is a little bit with their front court depth because Jairus Walker, although he's a five-star guy, you don't know what exactly he's going to do. And what are they going to do at the five-star five spot with Juwan Robertson, Reggie Chaney? I personally have Gonzaga number one, although some intel that I have probably is going to make change that this weekend, assuming that North Carolina does get uh, Northwestern Chancellor Pete Nance, who will be the perfect addition to a four spot for them. And that would be enough to make them preseason number one team, at least in my eyes. Is there a stock that is raised higher in the last month than Pete Nance stock? I feel like Pete Nance has become like the the hottest, greatest commodity in college basketball. He's he's definitely a late bloomer as far as PR is concerned. Because if you had asked anybody in the nation, other than a few Northwestern fans and a couple of Big Ten people uh, who this guy was, nobody would have known. They definitely didn't realize that he was 
he was uh, of the famous basketball Nance family until until this last couple of weeks. And, you know, I, I think there's some there were some Gonzaga fans who were actually saying things like, I would have rather had Nance than Timmy. I was like, what? Like, what is this? What is this hot take that we're hearing out of Spokane right now? Like, there's no way that that we want Nance instead of Timmy. I'm sure those people watch a lot of Northwestern basketball games too. I'm sure they watch, they grilled on those tapes. They, they saw it through and through. I, I feel like it is, is straight up mystery box syndrome where we're like, okay, we've seen Drew Timmy three years now. Uh, give me the 40% three point shooter that, you know, who knows what he can do inside of this system of like attacking the basket or facing the basket. Yeah, they're they're big time Chris Collins people. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, crying Northwestern kid from that famous um, tournament game against Gonzaga back in 2017. Um, you know, I, he's got to be crying somewhere again at the thought of losing Pete Nance. Yeah, I mean, it, you're gonna, it's going to happen every year in offseason where the free agent becomes just so valuable that he that he alone can change the fortunes. It, it, it's Whoever the best available there is in June, that, that's always going to happen. And Pete Nance just happens to be that guy. And, and I think the argument that, that even Northwestern make, fans make for him is that he'll have much better guards to play with. Like he won't have Boo Booey or Chase Audis to, to work with. And if you surround him with better guards, in this case, potentially RJ, uh, Caleb Love and RJ Davis, that his game could blossom even more. And you know, in today's game, people love stretch forward. Like guys who can who can shoot the three consistently and, and spread the floor and potentially make it better for everyone, that's always going to be preferred more than the low post players like a Drew Timmy. So when people say that they'd rather have Timmy than Nance, I guess it's part of the, the the fantasy of that the offense could get even better, which is sort of weird for Gonzaga because the program's been number one score-wise past four years. You literally a, can't get better offensively. I'm a big stretch four guy. I mean, and, and there's no greater North Carolina stretch four in the history of the game than Sam Perkins, one of my favorite all-time players. Um, that being said, I I just don't see with the, this idea that you would trade the efficiency of Drew Timmy, a guy who potentially is a national player of the year candidate, for – a, a guy who's at best a fourth, maybe a fifth option in that offense for Gonzaga. I'm sorry. You know what's so frustrating to me is people aren't doing the work when it comes to analytics and basketball. Yes, three-point baskets are worth more, and they are worth more in terms of uh, their their success rate, hit rate versus attempts. But you know what Mike D'Antoni would tell you? Getting to the basket and scoring two feet from the basket is also highly, highly valuable. Drew Timmy's efficiency is one of the highest rated best shots you can take. You're going to tell me you don't want an 115.8 offensive rating with 30% of the possessions attacking the rim relentlessly. Did we not watch the Memphis game? Like what, what is a higher percentage shot than a Drew Timmy back down? Like what are we doing here? You know, and I, as far as North Carolina is concerned, like I really do think North Carolina is probably the preseason number one, not just because of Pete Nance. I, I had him number one before then, but I really, I, I think that Armando Baycott is being underrated if that's even possible after the run that the Tar Heels went on during the, the tournament. Um, 
he's still being underrated by some people because really at the end of the day, what it comes down to is UNC, unlike UCLA, who kind of had that hot run last year and had a similar trajectory into the preseason top, you know, five um, opening the year last year. The difference is that North Carolina has that highly efficient player in the middle who can give you the consistency when your guards aren't hot. And if, if there's anything we learned about R.J. Davis, he doesn't stay hot all the time. If there's anything we learned about Caleb, he does not stay hot all the time. So, you know, Armando Baycott is going to be essential to the growth of this team this year and, and to the consistency of this team. Um, you know, I, I think the backcourt's great. You know, the North Carolina backcourt on paper looks awesome, but I think Gonzaga's backcourt's probably better from top to bottom. That's the difference to me is simply that, they have that consistency in the ACC this year. Yeah, I would I would say if you want to compare the Tar Heels to the Bulldogs, I think the Tar Heels have a a higher floor. I, I think that you know what they're going to give you, especially with that starting lineup. But but I think Gonzaga's ceiling because of the depth. Like we don't know what Hunter Salas is going to give. We we don't know how effective Malachi Smith is because not all, not all transfers have the same kind of impact. Will he be a 12 point per game score or potentially 15 to 16? And that is a huge difference. Will, will Ethan Reed give you interior defense whenever Timmy's not on the corner at the five spot is Strother part of the, the, the depth lineup at the four maybe. So, you know, what North Carolina is going to give you, which is why you, they, they should be number one, but they're also going to have a ton of tape on them. And you're going to see in the, in the ACC where coaches are going to scheme ways to stop Baycott and to force the guards to, to beat you. And, you know, there are bad habits that can come out of taking a lot of the tough shots that they did. It, uh, most of the time it went well for them, especially for love when it mattered. But there is, but you take some of the shots they do in normal games, you can easily go five or 20. And when that happens, they're very capable of losing. I can't think of anyone that is more him or miss than Caleb Love and RJ Davis. So you mentioned a guy for Gonzaga that I think a lot of people either they didn't see him play a lot because he played in the SoCon or they, you know, for whatever reason, once the tournament started and they were actually on TV, they just they weren't watching the games that they should have been watching. But Malachi Smith, um, in my opinion, one of the better guards in the country last year. Granted, his his level of play was not necessarily like the competition level in that conference is not necessarily on the level of some some of the other leagues out there. But really, the SoCon is not a bad league. It's not we're not talking like a bottom 10 league in the country. Um, and, you know, he's one of the more efficient players in, in the country already coming into Gonzaga, which is you know interesting because a lot of the transfer guards we've gotten in recent years, they come in not as efficient as they could be and then Gonzaga helps them get to that next level in the case of Malachi Smith he was a 40 percent three-point shooter already at Chattanooga he was an 80 plus percent free throw shooter um, he he also plays a really versatile game in that he is able to to play in the post as a big guard um, but he's also able to slide outside on the perimeter um, and he's an above average defender in your opinion, Tristan, what do you think that Malachi Smith brings to Gonzaga that we don't already have in the rotation or didn't already have in the rotation heading into next season? So I think he, I think one of the things that he he does that's going to be really beneficial to Hickman and even Bolton is that he creates his own offense. Like, like 
Andrew Nemhart could, particularly when the pick and roll, but if he if he wasn't comfortable to shoot mid range, then you didn't necessarily see a ton of Nemhart in other facets. Malachi Smith can, can shoot threes, create his own dribble pull ups, can go to the basket. He, he's going to be able to take it, to create his own offense and, and really set things up easier for Hickman because if Hickman's going to be the lead guard, you don't necessarily want him to fully take on a Nemhart role because I'm not sure if he's ready for that in his sophomore year. So having a guard that is a capable shooter so he can play off ball. If you need him to get it to get a basket, he's capable of just leading the offense. And, and, and it gives Coach Few a lot of different lineups to work with. He can allow, he can play the three because he's a good rebounder. He, he's a good passer. There's few weaknesses to just you do just want to know is he okay with the well not okay, but is he going to be comfortable with a lesser role and a lesser usage rate? Because at Chattanooga, he was the point guard and the shooter. He, he pretty much set everything up for him or everyone else. What will he do when the ball is less in his hands? I think he'll be more, he'll, he'll be more efficient, but will, will he, he find his role? Will he sometimes do too much or maybe be too unselfish, not do enough? I think it's going to be an adjustment period for him more than anyone else on the team. What I'm really intrigued by is the idea of, we saw what Rashir Bolton did in the fast break in terms of being a 42% three-point shooter um, with well over 50-plus attempts. Malachi Smith is a 41.7% three-point shooter in the fast break, and he had uh, roughly 40 attempts or so. So, like, the idea of having two lethal spot-up transition three-point shooters from the top in Rashir and Malachi is just like a, an arsenal of attack that is just could be back-breaking in a lot of ways. And I, I feel like Malachi, I, I, I thought Andrew, there's no one that's impressed me more than Andrew Nemhard in terms of dribbling in traffic, finding passing lanes, attacking the basket and getting the right stagger in for the pick and roll. But Malachi Smith might be one of the best rim attackers that Gonzaga's had in like a few years, I would say. Having a guy who can create off the dribble is really important, uh, especially once we get into March, because a lot of those big arenas that you play in, um, for whatever reason, become like this coffin for three-point shooting. And, and for whatever reason, the shoot, the outside shooting sometimes just isn't there as we get deeper into March. So having guys who can break somebody down off the dribble, who can find their own shot, um, whether it's Malachi or Nolan Hickman, who showed that in flashes last year, is going to be insanely important for Gonzaga next year. You know, one of, I want to I want to circle back around to something that you talked about, T, and that and that was that Malachi Smith was kind of like their their ball hand, their primary ball hander at Chattanooga, and that is true. But another thing that I thought was really interesting when you go back and look at some of the the way that they ran things, Darius Banks and David John Baptiste were also really good ball handlers as well and, and oftentimes would run the offense too so you know I think he's shown that he's capable of not not necessarily being the only guy who has to have his hands on the ball and and because of that it allows him and frees him up 
and has shown that he can free up to, to be this other, you know, scoring option on, you know, for, for those other guys that uh, when, when needed. So I think he can work with Nolan Hickman. I think he can work with Roger Bolton, um, you know, Hunter Salas, Dominic Harris uh, in that backcourt and, you know, be able to, to blossom with the Gonzaga Bulldogs next year. And I would say, uh, according to Hoop Math, uh, 86.4% of Malachi Smith's three-pointers made in the non-transition offense were assisted threes. Uh, they were just a pass-heavy offense in, in, in Chattanooga. So the idea of having another lethal shooter, especially since you're losing Chet uh, from three and Andrew Nemhard, I think that's going to be a big thing. And, like, what do we make of how... How does how does it all work together? I mean, like I remember when I I received the news and I just said to you, Josh, okay, how? <laughs> like <Yeah>. where <laughs> you have you have legitimately what six guards right now that could legitimately start on your team? Like how do they all work with each other? You know, I think. I think the popular assumption right now, and I've been maybe part of that a little bit this off season, or at least before I kind of heard some, some noise from the, from the practices that have been going on thus far. And that was, I, I, I think most people think that we're going to go to like a three yard set and that's possible. We're going to see that um, at times this year, but I'm starting to think that maybe Malachi is more of like that first scoring oomph off the bench. And then we get Nolan and Regier in the starting lineup. Um, Julian, while he could play some small ball four, and I think a lot of people really want to see that, I think Anton, is, as much as he has shown improvement this offseason, especially with his outside shooting, from what I've heard, um, I'm I'm going to be hard-pressed to see a, a reality where he's not a starter this year um, as a result. So, you know, there's it's going to be interesting to watch how this all unfolds, but I kind of feel like this is a, a team that could be almost like a platoon team with, with as much as nine deep, um, across the board. I don't think you're, you're going to see Fugo any deeper than nine, but I just don't see how he can in good conscience, tell somebody like Hunter Salas, Dominic Harris, Nolan Hickman, all these highly touted recruits that have come into Gonzaga over the years. I'm sorry, but I don't have minutes for you. Like he's, he's got to, he's got to find a way to integrate all of them. And maybe that's not on an every game basis. Maybe it's something where he, you know, this game, Nolan's the guy, this game, Hunter's the guy, this game, it's Dom. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how he's going to divvy it all up, but, I think there's a good chance that we're going to see nine deep this year. Yeah, I I think Mark View, if when it comes down to it, has will not have much of a problem telling the some of the guys who are eighth or ninth on the depth chart that he that I can't play you. I mean, we've seen five stars at Duke at Duke and Kentucky sit on the bench because they just didn't make the cut. Like. I think depending on whether or not the team has specific needs like defense, perimeter defense, that that maybe Dom Harris could step in, or if Anton Watson could space the floor, that'll make it more viable to play him with Timmy. I think the competition is going to make everyone better because outside of a couple of guys, everyone else's spots is it it can be challenged. But will they go nine? I think it's just hard because unless you're Leonard Leonard Hamilton. And you're part of his tree where you play 10, 12 guys, no matter what. Everyone else had just been going down to six or seven at the, at, at the most. And 
I, I, it's hard because when you're in, you know, at this point, title or bust like Gonzaga is now that Timmy's back, it, it's like, do, do you play uh, Dom Harris 10, 15 minutes or do you give them all to Malachi Smith and Rajir Bolton if those guys are, are playing well? So it, it, it's going to be tough. I, could I see nine? Maybe, maybe probably during the, the, the buy game period. But mm-hmm. but in March when the NCAA tournament comes, do I think it goes down to six or seven, assuming everyone's healthy? Then, then yeah. But you know, knock on wood, it, it's it's rare that teams are fully healthy. So if you so if you have a, a, a steady eight or nine option, you're good there, and that now help Gonzaga hopefully when it comes to injuries or anything like that. But it, it, it's it, it's hard to see a platoon system because not even Calipari. Is it does that anymore? And he has as much talent as anyone in the country. Yeah, I, I like. I don't see a way that Mark Few is going to go full platoon. I just that just seems so so antithetical to everything we've seen from him and his philosophy. And yeah, I I mean considering considering the way that Nolan and Hunter somehow played less minutes in conference play than they did in non conference play, considering. The, the gap in talent between Gonzaga and the rest of the WCC this year. It's difficult to argue. I do think that the the gap between what you would suppose the talent is with this team is even narrower than it was last year, especially considering that, you know, Hunter is given more opportunities to prove uh, his offensive capabilities, uh, further develop his game. Dom is going to be healthy and has had three years with this program, knowing the ins and outs of the system. Um, there's, there's just such a narrow gap in the talent. I feel like, and there's not redundancy, but complementary or like additional overlapping skill sets with a lot of the players that I could see more of a hot hand approach by few. But other than that, I just don't, he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's like, okay, we got team A and team B, roll it out, and we'll figure out the rest. I think, you know, maybe maybe this is comes down to a definition thing. Like, when I say nine deep, maybe I'm saying it from a different perspective as far as what I believe uh, a rotational player gets as far as minutes are concerned. I don't know. I, I don't think Efton Reed is going to get more than – 10 to 12 minutes a game next year. That's that's one piece right there where automatically I think that you're going to see for, for you know, and that's – if you listen to what I've said during this podcast and the previous times during this offseason, like on Twitter, about Efton Reed, that might shock some people. But I just yeah, think that me. With, <laughs> with Drew Timmy – with Drew Timmy back, like how do you – how do you tell Timmy he's not going to get 30-plus minutes a game this year? How do you how do you tell Anton Watson, who's been in the program for a long time now, that he's not going to get 25 minutes a game this year? Like, especially if he's improved as much as people claim he has, which again, we have to see that on the court to justify that at this point. Like, we can't just assume, oh, Anton Watson has become this different player. But I, I feel like he's at the stage in his career at Gonzaga where he it's time for Anton to shine. Like it's 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 sink or swim for him like he has to he has to make that leap this year or 
his career at Gonzaga is going to, people are just going to be like, what happened? Like where, what happened to Anton Watson? Like, why didn't he ever arrive? Like, you know, I, I realize that he still has potentially another season next year as well. And maybe that's his year, but that's, that's going to be his last year in Spokane. And suddenly he's, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think, I think he's at the stage now with, with his training and, and his body, like, you know, he got into a point, a point last year, conditioning wise, that he had never been at in his career at Gonzaga. You could see it. It was very obvious. And he had about a 10 or 15 game span where we were all going, okay, Anton's starting to show up. Like he's starting to look like the guy we expect. He was getting a little bit more confident, a little bit more assertive on offense. And if that outside shot is there now, then, then it changes things. Like suddenly Anton can be more, uh, you know, more, I'm trying to think of the right word in this situation, but he, he can be more um, just versatile in this system because of his defensive ability on the perimeter, because that he's so good in passing lanes as a defender. And suddenly he can do that on offense as well, you know, shooting from the outside, like that would really change things for him. And because of that, I just don't see how Efton gets those minutes up front. Maybe, in, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not low on Efton at all. I think he fits into our system and he can find a role, but I just wonder minutes wise this year, like how is few not going to give these five guards that we know are all capable guards more time, you know, like why, why would he go three bigs when he can go two and play more guards? And honestly, I feel like the pace of play also kind of forces that hand where, uh, I don't know with Efton's size that so you necessarily want him running and gunning as much as the Gonzaga offense normally does with Drew Timmy on the floor and those those fast, uh, ferocious guards on the perimeter. Um, I got a couple questions. Uh, so I guess, do you envision Gonzaga implementing a press this season, like aggressively with the amount of perimeter defenders like plus perimeter defenders is that even a possibility like i hope so i hope so this is like I, that's that's what people are gonna are coming into this season saying i i hope so i mean i don't know mark few has shown it at times in flashes like hmm let's throw this little wrinkle in and see what happens and it almost always is super effective and then he just goes away from it and I don't know why, like we all say that. I don't, I don't really know why, like, why are you not using the press more? I think he should. I think I, it, it is like you said, as versatile as this backcourt is potentially defensively on the perimeter. There's no reason why you shouldn't be pressing more because you're going to, what you're going to do is completely shift the, the game for a, there, there's not a lot of teams in the country that are going to be able to score with Gonzaga if you're running the press on a semi-regular basis out of that backcourt. My other question is, considering that it seemed to be down to the wire for Drew Timmy's decision, he was on the fence, he, he really wanted to go pro in a lot of ways, it seemed like. Do you think that it is likely that Drew Timmy kind of pushes or or um, is is giving an not necessarily an ultimatum but an ask to be more of a perimeter threat to add that to his game 
do you think he's go Mark V's gonna let him do that? Because I remember that was the talk with Chet and him last offseason, and in that athletic piece, Mark said basically, Yeah, I don't want him to go crazy with it. I I still want him to do the thing that he's best at. Do you think yeah. do you think considering the expectations, considering what Drew Timmy has established as by far the most elite back to the basket footwork offensive guard or offensive forward that they're going to say, okay, you're still playing 35 minutes, but also you can go try and add this element to your game that doesn't necessarily maybe fit how this system works. I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's a really difficult question to answer because we've seen guys make that jump in their senior season, like Corey Kispert, if you ask people, you know, Corey as a junior, Corey as a sophomore, would he ever become an NBA prospect that can, you know, through Gonzaga? People would have laughed in your face. Like, there's no way Corey Kispert was going to sniff the first round, let alone be close to a lottery pick, um, you know, out of that system. And then he did. He made those jumps. He, he shored up those concerns across the board. But in the case of Timmy – it's a little harder to see it be simply because I don't see how our offense works with him running more out of the perimeter. Like you got to have somebody in the post to space. You got to have, you know, that, that there's gotta be some sort of spacing out, you know, around there somewhere. Otherwise, like who, who, who else is going to be sliding into the post Anton, like, is is it i mean or, or is efton gonna get more minutes at the five and timmy at the four i, I just don't see that because what about julian like julian is primed to have a huge role this season and if you start asking timmy to play the four more when we we're all asking hey maybe julian should get some small ball four role i don't know like i don't see i don't see that working i, I feel like timmy is what timmy is and yeah could he is there is there potential for him to become a perimeter player at the next level, like in some different league potentially, but I just don't see how it really fits what Gonzaga is trying to do on offense at the collegiate level. Yeah. I think the, the, the one big difference between Timmy and Kispert is that Kispert had the measurables and had the, the, the natural ability to be an NBA player. He was a six foot seven wing that could shoot the ball. So anytime you, you can be a three and D guy, you automatically going to have a chance to draft it. Once Kisper showed that he could be, be a solid defender and a good enough athlete minus the Baylor game to compete against the pros, then he was going to rise up the boards automatically like any, you know, any sharp shooter with his size. It, it, whether Timmy develops a three-pointer or not, he's not going to be a good enough athlete to get drafted. I think just because you can shoot the ball doesn't mean that you're going to be capable of being in the NBA. Hunter Dickinson show that he could be a three-point shooter. His draft stock didn't increase one bit. So if Timmy is who he is, could he, could he shoot three? I mean, sure, but I think what happens with a lot of bigs is coaches will let them shoot 10 threes. And if you make one or two of them among your first 10, then you're quietly going to get told to keep your butt in the paint. So will Timmy get opportunities to shoot the ball? Sure, but he better go four or five or 10 instead of one or two which is going to, you know, discourage him from shooting it forward. But, you know, when Mark, you, you know, it, it, and, and considering that you're going to have a young point guard and Nolan Hickman running it, 
you kind of want to have your best plays all the time. And the best play for Gonzaga is Timmy being parked down on the bench, demanding a double team so he can kick out to someone who's wide open or get a fairly easy basket. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly interesting to think about because I feel like with the three guys that came back in Drew, Roz, and Julian, they all have something to prove for the next level at, at a considerable at a considerable size. And considering how efficient all three have been, but especially Drew and Regier last year, it seems like there <laughs> it's just still the questions of how are all these guys going to increase their roles, maintain their roles, while you have Malachi in the fold who will have a lesser role than he had at Chattanooga, but he's also trying to prove something for the next level. And then having two five-star guards in Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman trying to get the minutes that they deserved and earned. And then, yeah, oh, by the way, there's also this four-star Dominic Harris that uh, has been here, has been, you know, I don't think there's anyone that this fan base has been clamoring more for over the last two years than Dominic Harris. How does it all fit? It's going to be fascinating. Oh, and by the way, I don't think Efton Reed is also on the same page of I'm going to play 12 minutes this season. If you break it down and if you does not use a nine-man rotation this year, it's so, okay, let me rephrase this. Either he uses a nine-man rotation this year or one or two of these guards is gone next year because they did not get the role this year that they expected. That's, that's really what we're at. Like Hunter Salas, Dominic Harris. These are guys who there have been murmurs in the, you know, in the ethers of, of Twitter and other social media outlets that potentially they might potentially transfer at some point or another in the past how can you tell them after coming, if, if they get only 10 minutes a game this year or less or something crazy, you know, like that, how can you, what do you do as a coaching staff? What do you say to Dom or Hunter at that point? Like, well, come back next year and, and you'll get a bigger role. Well, okay. I've been here two, three, whatever years at this point, And I haven't gotten that role yet. Why, why would I trust that I'm going to get that role now? So I'm not saying that we have to do it, but at the same time, I feel like there's a, we're at a point as a program with as many of these high caliber players in this backcourt as we have, you got to figure out how to play them all in some way. Otherwise, that's going to be an interesting discussion next offseason. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's going to be a hard discussion at all. I mean, Mark Hugh didn't <laughs> need a guard, and he brought in the SoCon player of the year. Like, I think uh, you said that Gonzaga is at the point talent-wise. When, when, I mean, during, and when it comes to season uh, expectations, they're at the Duke and Kentucky level, Final Four bust. And what do they do? They bring in as much talent as possible. And at the end of the year, several of those guys know that they have to leave one way or another because there's another group coming in. So yeah. even, even, even when, you know, let's assume that Strother and Bolton and Malachi Smith are gone, you know Gonzaga is going to add another at least one guard from the portal. So it, whether those guys are willing to stay or not, that that's up to them. But I think you're seeing from this coaching staff because of how popular they are with portal targets, they're going to make the best roster possible. And if that means that some guys have to go, 
like we saw Umar Ballo to Arizona, then then that's 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 part of business. I think right. you're seeing coaches quietly understand that these guys aren't going to stay for four years one way or another. Either they voluntarily leave or we may accidentally force them out because we don't believe that they're good enough to win with us at a national title level. Like that's where Gonzaga is. Are, are these guys good enough to help you win a title? And if not, you're going to go and get a veteran out the portal who you know for sure is going to do that. And if it ruffles the feathers, then, then so be it. Right. No, I, I hear you. And I I think part of it too is just this this zag mentality that we're we're the nice guys or the good guys or whatever we do things the right way we don't over recruit players we don't push people out of the program because in the past that's maybe not been the way we did things but also we're at that like you said we're at that stage as a program now like kentucky like duke whatever where it's like every year reload 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 and you know, Fuse not afraid to go out there and find a more experienced, more trustworthy guy to fit into the mix season by season if he needs to, because he doesn't trust the backcourt he has. Maybe, you know, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of speculation here between us and other people about how this is all going to fit and how it's going to work. It's, it's going to fit some way or another, and somebody's going to be happy and some people maybe aren't. I don't know. It's not, it's hard well, to say. Well, let me ask you this, Josh, with Malachi Smith, based on the five guards that were already there, it, you say the hypothetical lineup of Hickman, uh, Bolton, and Strother, one, two, three, with uh-huh. uh, Harrison Salas off the bench. Right. Wouldn't Malachi Smith technically qualify as an over-recruitment? Yeah. He, they didn't really need them so so they're already doing it now no yeah i mean i hear you and and you could make the case that you know last year by going out and getting regier after already signing nolan hickman and hunter salas you know that he was kind of being recruited not it's hard it's it's hard how to say it that way because these guys came in with the expectation that they were going to get you know, 10 to 15 minutes a game. And technically they both did, but you know, like, I don't know, like it's maybe, maybe some people come in and they think, well, I'm going to be a first round pick in the draft watch. And they, and they aren't after year one, it's, it's, it's one of those things like expectations don't always meet the reality, you know, like we, we see certain guys are, who need more time. They just need another year, another two years to get there. Hunter Salas is a guy that I could see with the amount of work that he's put into his jump shot that in like another year, he could be a star, but maybe he's not a star yet. You know what I mean? Like he's got the potential to be a star a hundred percent, like totally has all the tools, but he still, there's like a few things with his game. Like if he just shores up this and this and this, he makes that jump and it's, it's so clear to see clear as day. This guy could be him, you know, like, but you just gotta, he's got to put in the work to get there. And, you know, that's no knock on Hunter Salas at all, because guess what? He's putting in the work from everything I've heard. His off season has been remarkable. The amount of growth he's made already. So, you know, maybe, maybe his role next year is way more than people anticipate. Who knows? Like anything's possible. And really over these next like three, four months, like 
through practices, through scrimmages, through, you know, Mark checking the whole spectrum of talent that, that is there. Like what we think now could totally be different by that point. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I'm intrigued by this just because I feel like Mark is such a coach that I wouldn't say plays it safe, but plays with set expectations in a lot of ways. So, I mean, like, I'm super hopeful that Hunter and Nolan get the opportunities to show that they've taken a big jump because I feel like they're two guys that are absolutely capable of it. It's just opportunity. And like, that's, that's the thing. How I, how does this all work with three guys that were already had the expectation of I'm going to the league ahead of them that are all virtually grown men compared to 19 year olds. So like, unlike last year where folks were, were making claims about how the, how the lineup was going to shake up just based off of stars and, and two, four, seven numbers. I think this is a year where, we're going to all have expectations and, and one or two things are going to be completely off the trail yeah. from what we expect. You know, one, one other thing that we didn't really talk about with this is that there have been instances where we brought in transfers who people expected to take on a huge role and then they didn't for whatever reason. One guy we've had on this podcast, you know, Crandall, and he explained it, you know, is basically like he just came in and didn't quite fit into the, the plan right away like it was like he almost like was in his inside of his own head or or whatever and it just didn't make that leap maybe malachi smith i don't know like if if hunter salas comes out and looks amazing he could get more minutes than malachi smith we don't know like he on paper right now it looks like malachi smith's gonna get a ton of minutes because he's been awesome you know in his career but it's a competition you know and it's like um what's that saying it's it's like um you you basically if you're if you're going to go into a system like Gonzaga with all of this talent and you expect to just be given something that's you're setting yourself up for failure you every single one of these guys knows and it's the same way with Jalen Suggs when Andrew Nemhart was was declared eligible instead of shying away from that or feeling slighted or being upset about it he was like oh that's dope like we get to have another amazing guard in this offense this year we could totally work really well together like that's the kind of mentality these guys got to have they got to come into it and be like this isn't like him being eligible is not necessarily going to hurt me long run maybe it hurts a little bit in my minutes up front but like we could win a national title now because of this we could go to the final four now because of this like those are things that maybe weren't possible if drew timmy doesn't come back if malachar smith doesn't show up if julian or Rajir don't come back like now we have national title aspirations again that's that's pretty remarkable <laughs> yeah, I, I also would argue too in the case maybe after reed you, even though you get 13 minutes which is probably which is eight less than we had lsu not only a chance of winning a national title, but also you get better by playing with Timmy. So even yeah. though you could argue that it's like an extended red shirt, I don't think Reed ever expected to be in college for four years. So mm -hmm. if you take this year to develop and be on a, on a final four contender, that softens the blow of not playing as much. And you know that you're going to be the starting big man the year after. So, so, so that helps too. The, the culture aspect 
it can sort of make you not getting as many minutes work out. And knowing that guys will leave, you can still you can still come back. Like like even the, the underclassmen, they don't have to leave after this year unless it's pretty clear that they're not going to have a giant role and be part of the future. So so it, so even though there's a lot of thing a lot of things for here, you know, it, it can still work out for just about everyone. But when you have yeah. 11 players that are top 100 prospects, you're not playing all 11 guys. So there are going to be, you know, quote unquote, roster casualties year by year, but that's not a Gonzaga thing. That's literally all 350 division one programs. Very good point. Yeah. And this whole conversation, we didn't even bring in uh, Ben Gregg and Caden Perry. So. <laughs> well, yeah. that, that kind of probably speaks to where we have them in our rotational. In our yeah. Minds right I mean, now. like. And that's no knock on Caden Perry at all, because like the man literally just had back surgery like a month ago or just over a month ago. So yeah, it's going to take a long time for that to heal. Even Karnowski, who supposedly had like a miraculous comeback from back surgery took 10 months. Yeah. So I mean, like shout out to my guy saying I can finally sit at a classroom desk without wincing. Like, right. It's I, I'm a washed 30 year old, and that is painful. My back See, hurts I did now. that too back in the day, though, but then I wasn't back problems while I was wincing in class. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> so let's let's change let's change paths a little bit here. Um, obviously, we know what's coming in next year. It's probably the finalized roster at this point. We kind of know what's happening, but what's going on with 2023? So we know Dusty Strummer's in the fold. Huge get out of California. Another guy to keep an eye on is Caden uh, Caden Caden Perry. You know Caden Cooper, <laughs> out of uh, Ada, Oklahoma, and he's currently at Skill Factory in Atlanta. Um, he's supposedly visiting for Hoop Fest, which is a pretty cool time to visit Spokane. I mean, you know the the largest three on three basketball tournament in the world is going on right next to you while you're visiting the campus. Like that's that's kind of cool. Um, the Zags are really high on Caden right now, and you know we kind of jumped on him a little bit before the rest of the country did. Um, he, he he's really blown up like over the last like few months and he's kind of shown himself to maybe even be the most athletic player in the entire class of 2023 or, you know, right near the top of that. Um, Steven Gentry is leading the recruitment, although Roger Powell's also been involved. He's visited with the Coopers as well. Um, the family seems really high on the Zags. They seem really interested in the program, and they they were very flattered that Gonzaga was was you know one of the first big programs to reach out to them. Um, I you know I don't know that he's a hundred percent a lock at this point. Like anything can happen here for sure. But I, I got to think that with all the high things they've said about Gonzaga and how we feel like he would pair super well with Dusty Strummer over the next few years, like that just seems like a really, really good fit for him. And, um, you know, I just I, th I think he's I think he's going to end up being a really big piece of that class for us if, if he does commit. It, it I mean, we talked about it a little bit in terms of uh, Gonzaga now not over-recruiting, but in a position where a sink or swim in a lot of ways for recruits. Uh, we're finally getting small forwards? That's that's cool. Getting wings is nice. That feels like a big step for a program. Um, right. 
the idea of having a rim runner like Caden Coop, Cooper playing next to Dusty for for two years or so that's that just screams limitless potential, especially in an offense like Gonzaga's. It's interesting with the 2023 class because there's like a, a national view that it's one of the weakest overall classes in a while. So it'll be interesting to see how aggressive coaches are going after these guys versus just automatically leaving a couple of spots open for the portal. Like, I, I think, you know, you know, Strother's likely going to be gone. Stalis is a potential breakout player. So you kind of want to make sure that, that you're, you're good at the wing spot. You probably wouldn't want to add a point guard as well. You're pretty, you're pretty set at the front court and at the shooting guard, but you know, a, another wing and another point guard, I think if you're Gonzaga, that would be a nice way to round out the class. And, and, and luckily for them, thanks to the portal and from not losing transfers as well, Gonzaga's not really desperate to add players in the class. They can be usually, as they are, selective and, and can be patient and not have to swing for defenses or get involved with recruitments with guys that could end up either in a G League or go else or like spend 10 months, you know, chasing something that probably won't happen. So I think as a, from a program perspective, they're in a really good spot. They can free, I, I, if things go well, probably wrap up the class even before the season starts. Because I think you're also going to see a lot of players commit early so that they can, you know, guarantee their spots before it, it, it lands up because you don't want to be a free agent as a, as a prospect in March or May, because there's going to be so much roster turnover, you want to make sure you know where you're going, where, you know, where you, you are in the uh, coach and staff's priority. Is that kind of like how Dior Johnson was a free agent in May and June? Well, you know, there's a difference between, you know, Gonzaga, who is at the final four level and, and a team in, in Pittsburgh and a coach from Jeff Cable, who's on the hot seat and needs to get as much talent as possible. But I was, it, I was just, just giving you a hard time. Tristan, they're knocking on the door. Pittsburgh is knocking on the door. That's you're right. Knock, yeah, knocking on the door to CBI, damn it. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, but, I, I could see a world where Pittsburgh puts it together and gets to the NIT next year. Like, let's, let's not sell ourselves short, okay? Like, come on, Panthers, let's go. Go where? the hell are we going? I mean... Not to Madison Square Garden because the NIT's not there anymore. No, we need to win the first game of the season. We lost the last three or four opening games of the season in bye games or something. We can't even start. Let's do that first. And let's make sure Dior Johnson actually gets to November 7th. Is Citadel on the schedule again? No, thank God. But there'll be another team from the SoCon or, or the Patriot League that'll give us fits. So the last guy I kind of want to talk about for 2023 is uh, Xavier Booker. He's out of Indianapolis. And this, this was kind of like a surprising one. It popped up over the last few days that Gonzaga offered him. Um, he kind of, the day before Gonzaga offered, he kind of nudged the Zags to do it. Like he was like, I'm really waiting on that offer for, from Gonzaga. Like I, it'd be really cool to get an offer from them. Usually you don't see a lot of recruits who say that, like they don't strong arm the coaches, but he did. He literally strong armed the Zags to offer like the next day. And with good reason, this is a guy who has completely jumped up boards. Like he, I think he's 70th in the composite rankings right now, but he's actually fourth 
in the 24 seven rankings, like their own proprietary rankings. So um, he had probably one of the best springs of anybody in the country this year. Uh, he's a six ten power forward. He's really, really um, kind of like a versatile big though. Like kind of, he, he kind of puts you in the mind of like an EJ Liddell type. And I, I think he's, I think he's going to be somebody who ends up somewhere like maybe Kentucky or Duke or somewhere like that. But I don't know, like the, the fact that he wanted the Zags to offer was kind of an interesting wrinkle over the last uh, few days here. Is Gonzaga turning into what Seattle is to the NBA where like you say Gonzaga is interested or, or you get, you get a prom, an offer from Gonzaga and that just bolsters your, your resume, you know, like Gonzaga is a safety school in a lot of ways. And then all of a sudden you say, yeah, I was offered by Gonzaga and this blue blood and blah, blah, blah. And uh, actually I'm going to, I'm going to go to the G league. You know, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just fascinated by the idea of like what happened with Leonard Miller and that felt frankly a lot a lot like that energy. I'm not saying that this is the case of Xavier, but any Gonzaga is just now at a pedigree where you can just add Gonzaga to the list of schools and that, that, that opens eyes. Right. I think in the case of Leonard Miller, that was such a weird recruitment from so many levels. I, I still honestly am kind of like, um, I have road rash from that because it just feels it feels like we were used for clout. That's, that's the best way to describe it. But I was told specifically that Z Xavier Booker is not using us for clout. Like he yeah. there's a legitimate interest there on his end. Now, whether that interest is top five interest or top 10 interest or whatever that ends up being, I don't know, but it's supposedly real. So I'll take that for however you want to take it. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't mean to accuse Xavier of that. No, and, yeah. And and honestly, with Leonard Miller, does did that man not know that we were playing with a broken heart? We were already going through so much. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's uh, true. Uh I Anthony mean, Black, he broke us, man. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that, no, Anthony Black broke us by joining Cobra Kai. Like yeah. and I was uh, like, that was really mean. Really mean spirited. Still hurts. <laughs> I'm I'm so ready for for the PK eighty and uh, uh, we we're recording this on Thursday and today Nate Oates uh, did a pr little press junket to uh, bash it in the Birmingham game for this season and like I just I just it, it means more this year to beat the the schools of the conference that it just means more frankly i i am ready uh to beat some sec schools for sure i would really love to get a crack at florida in the pk80 or 85 whatever it is and definitely want to beat alabama yeah um, how old is phil knight i'm sorry i i feel like phil knight just bought himself five more years my he's, bad. he's 85 yeah so yeah, yeah. or he's gonna be 85 I don't. I honestly don't know his birthday, but yeah, supposedly this year is his 85th year on this planet. Phil, buy your buy yourself a birthday present by the Blazers, please. Did you did you see the uh, that they had Shasevsky uh, at the Nike headquarters and did like um like a another ceremony for him, but with Nike <laughs> this time? Yeah, it was like last week, I think. Yeah. That man. 
yeah phil knight was like you know shaking his hand and giving him a hug on stage and they just talked about him for like you know 45 minutes or an hour and yeah coach k wait tuck did you not know the purpose of the pk80 what that was meant for oh i i knew i knew i just so forgot what how was the pk85 he just doesn't want to admit that it's been five years since the last PK-80. So yeah, yeah. this is an age thing. You know, Tuck doesn't want to admit he's getting old. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I mean, there's a lot of things that have been happening that has been spurring the idea that I'm getting old. But I'm so excited. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to the 85. It's going to be in the city I live in. I want to go just to heckle the sh- out of Austin King. Mm, yes, that would be amazing. Why wouldn't you go if it's in your city? Because I might, I might be at. Uh, is it is it for sure during Thanksgiving? I can't remember. Yeah, it's um, November twenty fourth through the twenty seventh, I believe. I might be in Mexico. Is the issue? Hmm. Well, I'm worldwide, <laughs> Tristan. I'm worldwide. I just, I just find it amazing how everything that's Gonzaga related. Tuck all of a sudden has to go overseas or, or go across the country. Like he's, I, he's, okay, hold on, hold on for a second, if I may. I need to defend my man Tuck Clary here. He is cultured now. Okay, he has gone on a a pilgrimage to the land of art and fine breads and cheeses and wines, and um, you know he had paella. tapas on the yeah paella on the beach. Um, you know, he was he was in Spain while Bob and Miller was over here. Hot yeah. Oh man, crazy. God, that killed me too, man. Yeah, so Bob and Miller. Also, shout out Gonzaga fans for being classy with Bob and Miller because you could tell Baba really liked Gonzaga and like not getting that opportunity. It smarts a little bit. Bittersweet, but... bittersweet, but still sweet. Could you imagine what it sounded like in the facility when Baba was there while Timmy finally announced he's coming back? Just, like literally on his visit. Like I'm just imagining uh, the coach that was recruiting him just sending him three grimacing emojis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> while Bob, while Bob is eating at Rincon Tapatio, um, he like yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he was like he was going to commit to Gonzaga if Timmy announced he was gone. Mm-hmm. So that was an either or situation, like a true either or situation. Um, end of day, we Works all will out. take Drew Timmy, I think. Works out for both parties, honestly. Yeah, uh, and, and, and maybe in two years, when things don't work out in Florida State, knock on wood. Hey, things are going to work Baba out. Look at what camp. John Butler is doing right now. Things are going to work out for Baba just fine. <laughs> um, I don't know. Hey, Tristan, the reason I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a man of mystery. The reason I, I have to do these pilgrimages is uh, in a lot of ways, I helped you with uh, the Pittsburgh iteration of the Winklevoss twins. I have to I have to get certain certain items, certain totems at my disposal for these whispers and incantations. It, it, right. it, isn't, it isn't easy to get things done, but we got it done. That's right. There was a lot of whispering this offseason. A lot of candles were lit um, and many burnt down to the last bit of wax. But it happened, fellas. Every single thing pretty much that we wanted to happen after we started lighting candles happened. What does that say? Black happened. Well, look. Anthony Black was before the candle situation, okay? We got desperate. We brought out the candles and then things happened. 
nobody wants to use the dark arts. That's a that's a time of great need and in desperation. Okay, exactly. we we needed to dip, and and we when when I dip, you dip, and we dipped, and we succeeded. Freak nasty on the mic. Thank you. <sighs> All right. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. We'll be back next week with an early edition to talk a little bit about the NBA draft, uh, where three starters are returning to captain the process. Talk about Chet Holmgren, talk about Andrew Nemhard, talk about the WCC, because uh, there's a couple other guys that could be flirting with their names being called. Uh, but until then, uh, you can Read Tristan Freeman, both with the newsletter from Field of 68, uh, coming out on Substack, as well as bustingbrackets.com. Thanks again, Tristan. Thank you, Josh. And uh, yeah, the boys are back. <laughs>